Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can come together as a church family. And even though we may not know each other intimately, as friends, as fellow students, as co-workers, we have a commonality, Lord, and that is you are our Father. And Lord, we've come here tonight because we want to hear a word from you. And so, Lord, we invite the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit to grace us with his presence. That you would take the words that are spoken, mold them and shape them, that they may be applied to our hearts the way you intend. Thank you, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember it like it was yesterday, even though it was 21 years ago. I was sitting in a hot, muggy country looking at an airport that I was just about to get into to travel back home. I had just been in this country for two and a half weeks. I was on the Negros Island in the Philippines. Anybody here from the Philippines? Nobody here from the... Oh, there was got a couple back over there. And it was my first mission trip uh, as a young person. It was my senior year in high school. And we had just done a two-week prophecy seminar. I remember I was standing there. This, this life-transforming experience had just happened over the last two weeks. And I'm looking into this airport. And as I'm looking into this airport, I see all of these people all over the place just milling around. Poor, uh, middle-class uh, outcasts of society, some just hanging on the fence, looking at all of the foreigners as they were coming off the plane into the country. And as I sat there and as I reflected over the past two weeks of my life, I was remembering all of the terrific things that had happened in my time there. Well, I was there, as I mentioned, we helped with a, we helped, uh, with a Bible prophecy seminar and uh, I was part of the group that was helping with the kids' meetings. And we had just as many people in the kids' meetings as they did in the adult meetings. Uh, it was just full to overflowing. And it was such a wonderful experience. But I remember seeing as I was there in the Philippines, this was my first time out of the United States other than the United Kingdom. Uh, and I remember while I was there seeing people who uh, were, were, were uh, not very wealthy. I remember seeing people who didn't have very much but were happy because, uh, just because they were happy. Filipino people are wonderful people. Uh, they were happy with the little that they had. I met people there who didn't have very much, but they felt it their obligation to give me something. And I thought to myself, please don't give me anything. Just keep it for yourself. I met beautiful people while I was there, and it changed my life. But the one thing that changed my life that I will never forget in my entire life unless the Lord gives me some sort of mental illness is seeing every night watching Sugarcane trucks packed with people trucked to the meeting every single night. I will never forget it as long as I, I remember standing there on the street corner before we would go over to do the kids' meetings. And I remember standing there, probably my mouth was just, just my jaw was dropped open as I watched this happen. These people packed in the back of the truck like sardines and they would come in night after night after night to sit on bamboo benches to hear the word of God preached. Be thankful for the chair that you're sitting in tonight. And as I stood there night after night watching this happen because I didn't want to miss it each night. As I, you know, I was a new Christian. I'd just given my heart to the Lord. I was fresh in my conversion experience. I was in love with Jesus. And this was a very impactful moment for me. And I thought to myself, Lord... Is there that many people on this little island that want to know the truths of God's word, that they are willing to be packed in the back of uh, trucks like uh, sardines to come and sit on an uncomfortable bench and sit there for hours to hear the word of God preached? There probably was more people than who came. Made a deep impression on my heart. And as I was standing there, sweat coming down my face as I was getting ready to go inside that airport. I remember it vividly. It was like a lightning bolt that just flashed through my mind. Matthew 24 and verse 14. You all know it, right? And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. 
and then the end shall come. Just flashed through my mind as I was standing there getting ready to go into the airport. And as I was thinking about that Bible passage, I didn't really understand the full implications of what was going on inside of my mind. But in my, in my infancy, in my conversion experience, it made sense to me that if I wanted to do my part to hasten the coming of Christ, there was only one calling. Amen? Amen? If I wanted to do my part, I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to going to heaven. Amen? Amen. And as I thought about it, you know, I thought, why would anybody want to stay any longer here on this earth than is necessary? I mean, I'm looking all around me at people who are struggling to make ends meet, but yet they have beautiful hearts and beautiful personalities. And I thought to myself, who would want to stay here any longer? If I want to do my part to hasten the coming of Christ, there is only one calling, and that calling is to take the gospel to the world. Now, I've learned a lot since then. I'd like to share with you some of those things that I've learned in our time together over the weekend. But I'd like you to turn with me to our passive scripture that we read just a few moments ago in our scripture reading, Matthew chapter 9, and verse 37. We're going to get into Matthew chapter 10 a little bit more on Sunday morning, so please don't miss that. Matthew 10 is a vital passage for those who are considering themselves as missionaries. But we're looking at Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. The Bible says this, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. The harvest is what? Does that thrill your soul? Does that make you happy tonight? Jesus said the harvest is plenteous. Now I know that as a gospel worker, sometimes it's hard to see that. You look out into the world, you know, you hear the stories of the Bible workers. Those are great testimonies, weren't they? But, you know, I, I, I know what it's like to pound the pavement, following up on leads and doing Bible work and following up on evangelistic leads. I know what it's like. Sometimes it's hard to believe that promise that the harvest is plenteous, but my Savior said it, therefore I believe it. And it thrills my heart to know that there are people out there that Jesus considers part of his harvest. He says the harvest is plenteous. But what does he go on to say? The laborers are few. Now, as encouraging as the first part of the passage is, the second part kind of takes your breath away. You know, anybody who's used to the agricultural thing knows that when the harvest comes, you have to act promptly. You have all of your workers lined up. You have all of your equipment lined up. You have everything ready to go because when that harvest happens, you don't have long. you got to get out there and harvest what you have planted. So this is a crisis that the Bible is talking about. There is a harvest that is waiting to be gathered in, Jesus tells us. But he says there is a what? There's a problem. The problem is that there is a lack of. Of workers. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this Bible passage, my heart goes out to those who Jesus considers part of the harvest. Because those who are part of the harvest need the harvest workers to come and harvest them. Matthew Henry, in commenting on this Bible passage, he says that there are loiter- loiterers who are many, but there are laborers who are few. Lord, have mercy. I don't want to be a loiterer when the harvest is plenteous. Let everybody say amen. Amen. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There is not enough workers to harvest the fruit. So what happens when there's not enough workers to harvest the fruit? You know, right? You've probably been here working on grounds or working in the agricultural department. I remember what it was like when I was in high school going out into the harvest fields. If you don't, don't get out there at the right time, what happens to the fruit? It rots and it falls to the ground and it's only good for fertilizer at that point. And so it happens 
Day after day, according to statistics online, 6,300 people will die in the course of our time together here tonight preaching this sermon. Many of them will go to graves having never even heard the name of Jesus, let alone what he has done for them. Does that pull at your heartstrings? Does that make you feel uncomfortable in living the American dream here in North America? Does that make you a little uncomfortable? It makes me uncomfortable. That there are people who are going to Christless graves. They are dying. They are rotting on the vines for lack of workers. Jesus says the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Eight years ago, continuing my story here a little bit more, I was sitting in my living room, and a good friend of mine was over visiting. We hadn't seen each other for a while. We had uh, done some evangelistic endeavors in different parts of the United States, and we were reconnecting again, and he was sharing with us how the Lord was leading in his life. It's nice to get together with friends and reconnect with them, and as we were talking and as he was sharing what the Lord was doing with him and his wife, he told us that he was moving to the mission field. I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. I want to hear this story. He was a Bible worker. He was a gifted Bible worker. I had worked with him a number of times. He led the, many people to the Lord. God was blessing his ministry. And now he's telling me, Jason, we're going to go to the mission field. I thought, this is, this is interesting. And so as I sat there, he began to t- share with us his story of how God was calling him and his wife to go and serve in the country of Thailand as missionaries for Christ. If you got some free time at some point, go and watch the series of videos by John Wood called I Want This City. Have you ever watched those? Anybody ever watched those? Look it up. I Want This City. It's a fantastic series of videos that paint the picture of Adventism in Thailand. This is a difficult territory to work in. So as he was sharing with us his story, he said, hey, I want to show you something. I said, all right, this is good. I want to hear it. So he gets out his laptop and he opens it up and he navigates to some website and he pulls up this video. And as I sit there in my living room and he begins to play this video, my life changes in three minutes. This video begins to paint this picture of the need for missions in foreign countries. It begins to depict the need of mission workers and how what Jesus said is actually true, that the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And as I watched this video, and as I watched these statistics, and as I heard these stories, my eyes began to burn because there were tears welling up in my eyes as I sat there and shook my head and said, Lord, what is it going to take? And as I looked at this great need of millions and billions of people, I thought, what can I do? I'm only one person. But one person can do a terrific thing for the Lord who is committed to Jesus wholeheartedly. In fact, the servant of the Lord tells us in the book Desire of Ages, page 195, she says, every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God a missionary. Amen? The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There are people out in the world today who don't talk like you, they don't dress like you, they don't eat like you, they don't live like you, and many of them may not even think like you, but they are part of the harvest. And as disciples of Christ... It is our God-given duty to go and harvest the fruit for the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Now, what I want to do tonight, we're going to have a little fun here this evening. It's going to be a little bit more informal. But I'm going to try to illustrate this to you because it's, it's, it's such a fantastic thing. I'm going to try to illustrate it to you in a way that is obtainable for us to understand. So I've got a few volunteers. My wife is going to come up here and help me as well. And uh, those of you that volunteered, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come on up here at this time. I need 15 volunteers. I don't know how many volunteers. 
Everybody drags their feet and coming up when they're supposed to be volunteering. Come on up, right up here to, on the, onto the stage. We've got two brave volunteers. I need 15 volunteers. Where are my other ones at? All right, if you weren't asked, come up anyways. Please, come, come, come. I've got my kids coming up here to volunteer. I need 15 volunteers. There's another one. There's another one. Keep coming, keep coming. No bashfulness. There's another one here. Okay, we've got two more coming in the back. Hopefully we won't get too many here. If we do, we'll just send you back into the mission field. <clears throat> All right, how many do we have, dear? 12, 13, 14, 15. We need three more. All right, Cody's coming up. All right, somebody with a Bible. Somebody with a Bible. Can you grab your Bible? Yeah, no, no Bible's at. We don't, we don't do that in the mission field. All right, come on down here a little bit further. Come on down here a little bit further. There we go. Just all right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Aren't you all beautiful? All right. Okay, so we need seven people on this side. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right, can you guys... There we go. Okay, Rebecca, you, you need to be on that side. Sorry, you guys can switch. There we go. All right, wait a minute. Actually, Rebecca needs to be on this side, doesn't she? Yeah, she is. We're a good team, aren't we? Okay. So... Why don't you guys switch? You got to and we'll get you onto the end over here. Okay. Does anyone know how many people there are in the world? That's correct. Actually, 7.5, if we're going to be technical. 7.5 billion people. So um, 7.5 billion. Anybody have any idea what 7.5 billion looks like? I have no idea. I have a hard time in my mind mentally trying to grasp the number 7.5 billion people. But we're going to try to illustrate that for you here this evening uh, in a way that, that you'll be able to take it home and remember. So we got our 15 volunteers up here. We have seven on this side that represent the reached world. We have eight on this side that represent the unreached world. So we have seven over here that represent what? The reached world. We have eight over here that represent what? Unreached world. And you can tell they're unreached because they don't like to stand close to each other. <laughs> Us over here who are reached, we like to be close to one another. Okay, so we have our first, uh, can you guys switch again? There we go, thank you very much. Okay, so we have our first, so let me just kind of define reached and unreached for you. So reached people are people who have access to the gospel. They have access to the church, they have access to Bibles, they have access to uh, Christian radio stations and television stations. That's the reached world for you, okay? So if they want to learn about Christ, it's very easy for them. They can learn about Christ if they want to, okay? Then you have the unreached world over here. Some of them have workers who are working among them, but we're going to illustrate that for you a little bit more here in just a minute. But for the most part, unreached people, unreached people groups, do not have access to the gospel. Okay, so they don't have access to the Bible. So think in your mind that you live in a country where there's no Bible, there's no uh, Adventist World Radio, there's no 3ABN, there's no Christian churches, whether it's Adventist or non-Adventist, there's no such thing as Protestantism in that country. So think about that in your mind when you think about unreached. Okay, so that's these people over here, uh, the unreached world. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to illustrate this. We have our first person in the reached world. Now, uh, each one of these people represent 500 million people or half a billion. How many do they represent? Half a billion. Half a billion people. Okay, so we have our first Christian here. Go ahead and flip your, uh, your sign around. He is what we would call an active Christian. What is his name? Active. He is an active Christian. So what is an active Christian? Hopefully, an active Christian is what all of you are here tonight. Amen. So you have your devotional life, you have a, you have a walk with the Lord, you, you have an intimate relationship with Him, you are sharing your faith wherever the Lord may take you, you're studying the Bible, you're memorizing the Bible, those types of things. And these people are also praying for the unreached world. Would you say amen? amen. Are you praying for the unreached world? Yes. All right. Don't say yes just because you think I want you to say yes. No. We want to be praying for the unreached world. Now, this is the only group where you can find good, reliable missionaries. Got that? Okay. 500 million people right here. Now, how many Adventists are there? 21. 21 million. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Are all 21 million Adventists, active Christians? It would be good if they were, right? But sadly, that's just not a reality. So just kind of tuck that 
uh, behind one ear. Okay, so then, now we have our second person with a sign here. Actually, it's the second three. One, two, and three. And their name is what? Nominal, nominal Christians. And the nominal Christians, we are going to give them a light bulb because they are supposed to be a light to the world, but their light is what? You remember that song you used to sing in uh, Sabbath school, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It? Isn't it funny that when sometimes we become adults and that part of the song, uh, hide it under a bushel, we forget that part of the song when we become adults, don't we? Right? And we keep hiding our stuff under a bushel, and then we wonder why our kids aren't wanting to let their light shine. All right, so we have nominal Christians over here. Uh, they have probably go to church. Some of them may go to church on a semi-regular basis. Some of them are like much of the Christian world who go to church on Easter and Christmas. Right? So this weekend is going to be a bumper crop of people that are going to be going to church. A lot of people are going to be uh, you know, filling the church pews over this weekend. If you ask them that if they were Christian, what do you think they would say? Of course they would say, yes, I'm a Christian, but their lights are not shining. Now, are you ready for this next point? 70%, how much? 70%, 70 of our evangelistic funds go to reach this group of people right here. How much? We haven't even talked about these guys over here yet. So you're already starting to see a problem, aren't you? All right. So those are our nominal Christians over here. We would, um, we would give them name tags and, uh, because they're, you know, they profess the name of Christ. Uh, and we would give them the name Luke Warm. You don't want to be that Christian, right? Okay. So then we have our next two uh, folks over here. Actually, we're supposed to have three, but I think one of them ran off. <laughs> Do you want to stand up or no? You want to hold a sign? Should we get somebody else? Come. You can hold a sign? These next three are what we would call non-Christians. What are they? Non-Christians. And I know you don't want to, but you have to put the glasses on, brother. <laughs> My kids were dying to be able to do this. There we go. You can't keep them, though. They're mine. So non-Christians, okay? Just be glad you're not over there, okay? All right. These people are, we give them glasses because they are spiritually blind, right? But they live in a context where if they want to, they can learn about God. They know that they are not Christians. In fact, if you ask them, they would probably say, no, I'm not a Christian. Uh, they probably work and talk with Christians on a semi-regular basis. Uh, maybe some of them even go to school with Christian people, uh, but they don't have any interest in Christianity. Okay? If they wanted to, as I said, they could go to a church and in that church, they could be able to learn more about the gospel. They could go down to any bookstore and probably pick up a Bible if they wanted to. They could learn it if they wanted to, but they don't. So they're spiritually blind. Okay. Now, this, these, this, these seven people right here, they represent the reached world. They're in places like the United States, Europe, Canada, Africa, even parts of Africa. This is what we would call the reached world. Okay. So now what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the unreached world. The first two in our unreached world are what we would call Hindus. What are they? Hindus. Hindus. And we are going to give them a little costume here called a third eye. Aren't you glad you don't have a third eye? Okay. Hindus are close to one billion people call themselves Hindus. Is that a lot of people? A lot of people, okay. Mostly are in India and in the country of Nepal. Uh, they believe in millions of different gods. So when missionaries go to, you know, share with them the gospel, they're like, great, another god. We'll just add it to the list. 
You see the potential challenges there, right? Because our God is not another God. He is the only God. So there's challenges there. They worship idols, things made out of wood and stone and metal and things of that nature. They hope that they will be reincarnate, reincarnated one day. And if they happen to live a good enough life, maybe they might be reincarnated as a priest or maybe a god themselves. But if they don't live a good enough life, they might be reincarnated as a dog, cow, or maybe even a mouse. Okay? So that's the Hindu world for you. The next group of people, next three on our, we need to have all girls. So three lady, two ladies down there. Gentlemen, if you could switch with them, yes. Okay, next three people represent the Muslim population. Have you ever met a Muslim? Contrary to what you might see on the television, there are many wonderful Muslim people out there in the world. Muslims have been uh, misrepresented in America just like Christianity has been misrepresented in Muslim countries. Are you all with me? Right? They think Christianity is Hollywood. Is that true? Yes or no? Yes or no? Well, maybe in some places it is, but hopefully it's not. Okay, so we have the Muslim population here. 1.6 billion people on this earth call themselves Muslim. One-fifth of the entire world population is Muslim. How much? Are you writing some of these statistics down? No, you're like, that's okay, I'll just listen to it later. Because we're a modern society, we can do that kind of stuff. 1.6 billion people call themselves Muslim. Fifth largest, or fifth, uh, one-fifth of the world population are Muslim. Uh, they have to recite many times during the day. Rain has heard this. I've gone to his beautiful country before and listened to them chant from their mosques. There is no God but Allah and Muhammad as his prophet. For them, Jesus is just one of many prophets that were sent from Allah. My Bible tells me that he is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Amen. See some challenges there, right? In this country, the ratio of Christians working among Muslims. One Christian for every one million Muslims. What was the Bible passage that we read? Harvest is what? But the... Such beautiful Muslims. Thank you for your help. Do Muslims need missionaries? All right, we have our next one, and he is going to be our Buddhist. And last time I checked, Buddhist monks shave their head, so we do have a razor. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the one, one time I, I was one of the people standing up here in the front, and they made sure that I was right here. <laughs> makes a good Muslim, or makes a good Buddhist. Muslims believe in the eightfold path of enlightenment taught by Buddha, Buddhists, sorry. The eightfold path of enlightenment taught by Buddha that unfortunately does not lead them to enlightenment but leads them to greater darkness. They work very hard to achieve a state called nirvana, which is a state of perpetual nothingness. Aren't you so glad you have the Bible? Amen. Don't Buddhists need to hear that there is something better than nothingness? What in the world? There's a beautiful heaven out there that God has prepared for you and for me and for him. But somebody needs to go tell him. Do the Buddhists need missionaries? Amen. All right, the next one we have are what we call atheists. Not North American atheists. 
They have access to the Bible. These are people like folks in China under communism who are taught by their parents, teachers, and the government that there is no God. It is pounded into their heads from childhood. They are taught to believe that anybody who believes in God is stupid. Therefore, anybody over here, most especially here, are what? They're stupid. They believe in survival of the fittest. I'm thankful that God can take the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Do atheists need missionaries, yes or no? And then we have our last one over here. You're so brave. You stood up here for so long. You didn't run off. I'm glad you're here. Because you are an animist. And my wife worked very hard on that today. Hopefully we can get it to stay there. Very good. Oh, we have a necklace for you too. There we go. Isn't he scary looking? (laughs) Can you see it? He's like, I can't see. That's right, you can't see. There's your sign. Anything else you want to give him? (laughs) Tribal religions are what we call animism. They work hard to appease the spirits. Listen to me carefully. You've heard of demonic things. Many of you, some of you have, but many of us have not experienced it. And it's a whole different ball game when you are living day to day encountering the spirit world tormenting you. Their whole state of existence is trying to find out ways to appease the spirit gods, to appeal to the witch doctor, to do different incantations, to try to keep the demons at bay or just to leave you alone at best. There are about 3,000 unreached tribal groups in the world and many of them do not have the Bible in their heart language. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And I know that when you look at this, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, atheists, and tribal religions, it's hard to see God's promise actually being fulfilled that the harvest is plenteous. But we have to trust God. Because my Bible tells me that God does not lie. Amen? Amen? So we trust Him. Okay, we're not done yet. I need ten more volunteers. Come on, come on, come on. Ten more volunteers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Nine, ten. Okay, great. Right over here. Make a group right over here. Very good. One, two, three, four. I'll count you as one. Is that okay? Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Very good. These are our missionaries. Say hello, missionaries. Hello, missionaries. These are our missionaries. Did you bring your Bibles? It's okay. We have good imaginations that you left your Bibles in your chairs. But if you went to the mission field, you would take your Bible with you. Amen? Amen. All right. So these are our missionaries. You are the sending organizations. All right, those are the organizations that kind of keep things going on the home front and supply the missionaries with prayers, blessings, and money. What do they supply the missionaries with? Prayers, blessings, and money. Okay, so what I want you to do is I want, to, I want you to send your prayers and blessings and money this way. So just go ahead and wave to them. All right, send it over. To them. Right. Very good. Okay, so now you have been commissioned by the sending organization to go as missionaries to the mission field. You've heard from the Bible to go into all the world to preach the gospel. You've heard Jesus say that the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Your heart has been moved to serve God as missionaries, and now we are going to send you to the world. All right? So on the count of three, because I know you guys are all good missionaries, You didn't enter into this in an emotional way. You've prayed and you said, Lord, where do you want me to serve you? And so as you've prayed, you know where you want to go serve. Amen? I'm not putting words in your mouth, am I? Okay. So on the count of three, I want you to go where you want to serve. Okay, ready? One, two, three, go. 
Okay, turn around and face the congregation. All right. Very good. Now, let me ask you a question. Is this a good thing, yes or no? Yes. Amen. Is this the way it should be? Yes. Right now, let me, let me make something abundantly clear here, okay? That does not mean that we want to neglect the non-Christians and the nominal Christians. Right. Right? We, they still need to be reached. Yes. Amen? Yes. But remember, where are the missionaries coming from? Uh, where? The active Christians are the ones that are sending missionaries. Now, if this were the case right here, we would have a case to rejoice with. But unfortunately, this is not reality, okay? So I'm going to make it reality for you because according to statistics, one out of every 10 missionaries that go to the mission field go to the unreached. How many? One out of 10. Okay, so you have to go over there. You have to go over there. You have to go over there. You have to go over there, you go over there, you go over there, you go over there, you go over there, and you are our one lone missionary <laughs> holding down the fort. Brother Sanchez. <laughs> I think you would do good in tribal religions, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We should talk about that afterwards. <laughs> I think I might be able to help you out with that. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you happy with this scene? No. One out of every 10 missionaries go to the unreached. Fundamentally, there is a problem with this. Now, this isn't just Adventism. This is a problem in Adventism as well. But all throughout Christianity, this is a problem. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do you suppose most of the people focus their energy over here? It's a comfort zone. What else? easier, at least perceived to be easier anyways, because they have some sort of Christian influence. Anything else? Don't have to go someplace uncomfortable? Quick, quicker results, perhaps? Maybe even in some of this area, you won't have to learn a new language? Now, what's very interesting is when you compare all of the workers in the Christian world, pastors, youth pastors, worship leaders, things like that, the disparity is even more. There's one out of all Christian workers, one missionary goes to the unreached and 140 go to the reached. That's all workers, not just missionaries, all workers. One to the unreached, 140 to the reached. Now let's talk about finances. Did you send money? Yes. Yeah, you send money to them? Right. Maybe you've already heard this before, but... Out of every dollar that's given to the church, one penny goes to foreign missions. Actually, some people say less than a penny. I don't know how you get less than a penny. Sorry. I'm getting to that one. Okay. Um, Each year, Americans spend less on reaching the unreached than they spend on Halloween costumes for their pets. $100? So here's something that you might find interesting. In 1930, this is talking about the Adventist church, 33% of money that was given was sent to world missions. How much? 33%. 15% stayed at home. That was in 1930 during the Great Depression. In 2014, 3.6% went to the mission field and 26% stayed home. 30% drop in giving to foreign missions. Now, you don't have to believe me on this. You all know who David Trim is, and he's documented this stuff very well. In fact, that's where we got all of these statistics from. 30% drop in finances to the foreign mission field. In 1930, here's another one for you. In 1930, Adventists gave, on average... $6.45 to missions for every $10 that was given in tithe. You want me to stop there, don't you? 
And again, that was during the Great Depression. $6.45 to missions for every $10 in tithe. In 2008, the number had dropped to 36 cents for every $10 that was given in tithe. Now, not only had the church gotten larger by that point, but the world had gotten much larger as well. In the North American division, North American Adventists give roughly $21 a year to foreign missions. That's an average of $1.75 a month. How many of you think that we could do better than that? $1.75 a month. Only 1% of Bible distribution goes right here. Is that a problem? How can they learn if they don't have the Word of God? So you see some major challenges here. Now, what I'm not saying is, as I said before, that all of these missionaries need to all of a sudden go over here. I mean, that would be wonderful, but we still have people that need to be reached over here, right? So what do we need to do? We need to pray that God will raise up a tidal wave of Heartland graduates. Come on now. That are not satisfied with the American dream but have a kingdom-building dream, who are willing to sacrifice life and comfort, family and ease, position, finances, to go and reach the unreached. Jesus says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he may send forth laborers into his harvest. Oswald Smith once said, No one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once. Do you believe that? I think there's a lot of truth there. There's a lot of preaching that goes on over here. Over and over again, hearing the gospel. And that needs to happen. But there are billions of people who haven't even heard it once. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that tomorrow. Now, before I let you all go, I want to share with you one more thing here, and then we'll go into the final part of our study. Luke chapter 15 and verse 8 and 9. The Bible says, you can turn there in your Bibles if you want. Luke 15, 8 and 9. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lost one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she what? Finds it. And when she hath found it, she call her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece that was Don't you want to find those lost coins? Listen to what Ellen White says. Christ Optic Lessons, page 193, says this. The coin represents those who are lost in trespasses and sin, but who have no sense of their condition. They are estranged from God, but they know it not. Their souls are in peril, but they are unconscious and unconcerned. In this parable, Christ teaches that even those who are indifferent to the claims of God are the object of his pitying love. Should it be the same for us? They are to be sought for that they may be brought back to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So here's what I want to encourage you with. Where are you going to go? Listen to me carefully, brothers and sisters. You can have your fancy theological arguments, and we need to study theology. You can enjoy going to church every Sabbath and being part of your Sabbath school and all that kind of stuff. You can get into those online debates and all that kind of thing. Fine. But if these people don't get a chance to hear the gospel, we're going to be here for another 150 years. And what I learned as I sat in front of that airport in the Philippines has never left me. 
that if I want to do my part to hasten the coming of Christ, I need to go and tell the world. We cannot be satisfied with the status quo when there is a gospel that needs to be given. We live here in this world as though we are going to continue living in this world, as though there is no heaven for us to gain. It's time for that to change. You guys did so great. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and take your seats, and we're going to conclude with a few final remarks here. In the book Acts of the Apostles, page 109, we are told that all over the world, men and women are looking wistfully to heaven. Where? Where? All over the world. There are Buddhists. There are Muslims. There are Hindus. There are animists who are thinking to themselves, there is more to life than what my religion offers. You've heard the stories of Muslims who are having visions and dreams about Jesus. They are learning about Christianity, but God needs men and women who will go and tell them about Jesus. It is not enough for them to just have visions and dreams. God needs somebody to go and pluck them out of that fire and bring them into the family of God. In 1906, there was one missionary for every 138 members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. In 2015, according to what I can find online, these are denominationally paid employees that are missionaries, not volunteers. So this is where we are putting our money as an organization. 2015, there was one missionary for every 23,000 Seventh-day Adventists. Do you have a problem with that? The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Now, lest you think that I am attacking this denomination, I am in no way doing that. I am a firm believer that we are God's remnant people. But I believe we can do better. God has given us a message that has to go to all parts of the world. We thunder Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 from our pulpits. This gospel of the kingdom must go to all the world unto, uh, uh, for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. That every nation, kindred, tribe, and people will hear the gospel, the three angels' messages. We thunder that from our pulpits, but are we doing that? Are you with me, brothers and sisters? It's one thing to preach it. It's another thing to actually do something about it. We have enough people talking about it. Now we need people who will actually go and do it. Parents, would you be happy if your child made the decision to go and work among Muslims? Would you try to hold them back, entice them with a degree, paying for their tuition so that they can get a better job in society? Believe it or not, there are people who say that. Now, when you look at the Adventist ratio of members versus missionaries, it's quite abysmal. The Mormons, as you know, send out many missionaries. There's 14 million Mormons. Anybody know how many missionaries they have, full-time missionaries? 71,000 full-time missionaries. That's an average of one missionary for every 200 members in the Mormon church. God has given us a much better message, has he not? I believe we can do something better. I believe that we can do something that will bring this world to an end. If we choose. The choice is up to us. Gary Krauss, the director of Adventist missions at the General Conference, he said, there are more people on earth today who are not Adventists than there were 100 years ago. There's a problem with that, isn't there? There should be more Adventists today than there was 100 years ago. We're not keeping up with the population growth as Adventists. I believe that we can do better. So you might ask the question, what can I do to reach the unreached? There are three things I want to leave you with in our time together here tonight. 
and they are this. Number one, you can pray. You can what? You can pray. And I pray that you are praying on a regular basis for our missionaries. If you have not followed a missionary, go to Adventist Frontier Missions. Follow a missionary. Look at what they go through. Look at the peaks and the valleys, the trials and the difficulties, the joys and the sorrows. Follow that person. And as you follow them, pray for that person. Go to ASAP Ministries. Follow a missionary. Look at what they're doing and bring them to the family altar with your children, with your grandchildren, whoever it may be, and pray for that person that God would open them up and pour out his Holy Spirit upon them. Because they need supernatural strength and abilities. Pray. What else can you do? You can give. You can what? Did you know that if you gave $100 a year to foreign missions, you would quadruple the amount of money going into the mission field than is going in right now? That's about $9 a month. That's skipping out on eating out once a month. Are you all with me? Is that obtainable? I think even college students can afford $9 a month. Somebody say amen. Amen. $100 a year you can give. Find a missionary. Not everybody can go overseas. Some of us can. Some of us can't. None of us, all of us are called to do that. But all of us are called as missionaries for Christ. And sometimes that might be being in your prayer chamber, lifting that missionary up to God in prayer. Sometimes that will be giving him money to help support him in the work that God has called him to do. God has blessed this country with means. We use it too much to make our lives comfortable here in this world and to not advance the cause of God. You can pray and you can give. Testimonies for Church, Volume 9, page 55, says this, Not all can go as missionaries to foreign lands, but all can give of their means for the carrying forward of foreign missions. I was meeting, I met a missionary one time. He was a missionary to India, and he told me about a lady who came to his meeting one day as he was sharing about his mission work. And he, she said, oh, I'm so thankful you came to church. I have my savings that I've been looking for a place to put it in. I want to give it to you. And she reached in her pocket and she pulled out 10 cents. Her savings. Gave it to the missionary. All of us. Doesn't have to be large or small. All of us can go to help support the missions in foreign lands. And then, of course, the last thing that you can do to help reach the unreached is to go. What? What are the three things? You can pray, you can give, and you can... Now, I don't know what it looks like for you. I can't tell you what you should or should not do. That's not my position, and I won't even step in that place. But God can impress your heart on what you ought to be doing. And I pray that over this holy convocation weekend, that it won't be just another opportunity for us to sit and fill our minds with theological information. We've done enough of that here in North America. We have minds that are so full of information that we become apathetic. It's time for us to start doing something with this that God has given to us. You can pray, you can give, and you can go. Three things that you can do. Eric Little, the man who broke the four-minute mile barrier, he was an Olympic gold medalist. Many of you know him from the story Chariots of Fire gave up his Olympic dreams to serve as a missionary in China for 20 years. In fact, Eric Little died in a prison camp. He said, We are all called to be missionaries. Wherever we go, We either bring people nearer to Christ or we repel them 
from Christ. We are all missionaries. Doesn't that sound like what the servant of the Lord told us? We're all missionaries. We either bring people closer to Christ or we send them running away from Christ. And brothers and sisters, I've met too many people who are causing others to run away from Christ. We don't need more of them. But I've had the wonderful opportunity of meeting such beautiful Christians that are like powerful magnets that people just cannot resist. They have a drawing power that is not caught up in techniques and theory, as good as those things may be. But they have the love of Jesus that is emanating from their heart in such a powerful way that it captivates people. And they say, I want what that person has. We're either drawing or we are repelling people from Jesus. And it's good for us every now and then to, as we are getting ready to go to bed at night, to ask the Lord, Father, which end of the magnet is facing towards the world in my life? Is it a drawing magnet or is it a repelling magnet? Which end? And Lord, if I'm repelling people, please switch that magnet around because I want to be drawing people to Christ. So tonight, I'm going to appeal to you as you go to your various places. You're going to find I'm going to be making the same appeal many times. But as you go to your various respective places, as you tuck yourself into bed tonight, that you would pray a simple prayer and say, Lord, where do I fit in on this gospel commission thing? It's not just enough to have it memorized. It has to affect our lives in a tangible way. Lord, what does it look like for me to fit in on the gospel commission? Am I praying? Am I giving? Or am I going? I think we can all fit into one of those three areas. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth workers into his field. Maybe some of you here tonight will be the answer to that prayer. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray tonight? Father in heaven, forgive me if I've misrepresented you in any way here this evening. Father, our hearts have been stirred by these passages that we hear so often that they have become, for some of us, just taken for granted as commonplace. Father, we want to be changed to take an active part in fulfilling the commission that you gave to us. Not just the 12 disciples 2,000 years ago, but to those of us that are sitting here today at the Heartland Convocation. Father, as we go home, as we pray, send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way to impress upon our hearts where you want us to be and how we fit in fulfilling the gospel commission. Thank you, Father, for giving us something that is worthy of taking to the world, a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior. That there's a heaven to win and a hell to lose. That there is something more to life than what billions of people are believing today. Dear God, thrust us out that we may bring glory and honor to your name and be your hands and your feet to bear the good news to the world. Thank you, Father, that you bless us now as we go our different ways in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.